Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> Mr. Rainwater, you are alive, and you seem to be in better spirits than the last time I talked to you. Uh, yeah. Everything going okay with uh, Art Salvage? Yes. Uh, you know, other than, I mean, like we talked about last time, uh, I was able to salvage what art I could. I've got some stored with, uh, with an aunt and uncle in a nearby town. But uh, I do want to say, because uh, I didn't have the chance to say this, but uh, thanks, Tony, for being a guest on the show, filling in for me since I couldn't make it. And uh, I got to listen to y'all's episode uh, the other day when I was driving to Baton Rouge. So it was great. Well, that was at least we gave you something to listen to during a drive. Uh, right? <laughs> I know, I know, everyone who's a longtime listener of uh, our podcast knows Mr. Rainwater knows something about uh, warlocks. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was so thinking about I, that when she said that she was a warlock. I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, well, then I I didn't know that in Dungeons and Dragons that a warlock was the same thing as a witch. I thought it was like a whole. Uh, Latina Latino thing where it was like you have to di- differentiate based on gender. Um, oh, it's, but I guess it's not. Interesting too, because I get a lot of feedback from people who read Trailer Park Warlock who like get into the D and D format of what a warlock is, and like they're like, well, what's uh, what's Jake's patron patronus or what? I, there's a certain term and I can't remember what it is, but like some kind of supportive entity that uh warlocks have that's like a spirit animal or something is that an and, actual like a uh like an actual fantasy term i thought that was just strictly a harry potter thing that's what i thought too and then i kept coming across all this stuff and i'm like maybe this is like a it's at huh. least a D thing i think as far as i'm aware right. i could be well, totally mixing all this stuff up uh, you talk- are gonna land closer to the target than I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm a sucker. I am a whore for any kind of franchise series, whatnot, all that. But I never, ever, ever could get into Harry Potter. I just couldn't do it. Um, I'm just uh, that the fantasy realm is hard on me. It really, it's not one of those particular genres that speaks to me. I can't get in the Lord of the Rings. I, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm turning down Tony every time she talks about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and all this and that. Like, it, 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 it was fun in the community episode to watch and get a half-hour yep. taste of it, but I don't, I could not do that for four hours every Wednesday, week after week. I just, I'm not that into mystical spells and all that kind of stuff. Now, if it's like curses and witches on broomsticks, that's sure. shit that I'm, I'm all about. That's the horror. Uh, well, I'm and it's okay with that. that you say that because I uh, I know that you're a, you're a big fan of the uh, movie Hocus Pocus, and I and I wonder Huge. I wonder if part of the appeal of that for you is that it has a grounding in like a like a it's like a folk tale within the town, right? It's all very self-contained. Yeah, you don't have to go outside of that that setting, right, to create that. Um, that veneer basically whereas with fantasy it's like you have to basically suspend your disbelief for an entire like universe right and so in order to suspend your disbelief you have to go through this entire trail of like here's the logic of the world step by step by step what drives and so it actually and to get into the topic that i think is going to be the point of this episode is a it goes into the logic between, you know, the opposing forces within the story, between 
the protagonist and the antagonist or the hero and the villain. In order for you to be able to connect with what's driving them, you have to also yourself be grounded and connected to that to the whole world, right? So like Yeah. You know, for it's, instance it's, if Oh go ahead. I was just gonna say if the hero of a story is like their driving force is sort of connect is more connected to some esoteric force that doesn't have anything to do with like, you know, oh I wanna get rich. Oh I wanna, you know, get married, whatever, you know, and it's more like Luke Skywalker's um uh, uh main drive which is why he's not the only character in star wars right you have several different main characters because you need somebody who is more you need somebody like han solo who's more grounded to balance that out basically yeah i think one of the things for me that kind of well see here's this is why i have such a disconnect with um a lot of fantasy type stuff both lord of the rings to some extent harry potter um Game of Thrones. Yeah. The books just kind of drop you into the world and it's like, fuck you. All, you should already know everything <laughs> that's going on. Right. We're not stopping to explain shit about you to you. Yeah. Um, and that is a giant turnoff for me. Maybe that's because I'm so used to the story structure of filmmaking where it's like, no, no, no. We have to make sure that the audience understands what's going on. Cause I can't get on a protagonist's side unless I understand the wants and desires. And then right. on top of that, the fantasy thing kind of has a lot of the chosen one type of shit, which is very yeah. religious inspired for me. And that's not, I'm much, much more in the camp. Like you said, grounded where it's like, I need the primal human connective tissue, something that everybody feels and I don't think yeah. anyone ever feels like they are Jesus unless they're absolutely batshit crazy. Right. Um, that's hard to connect with. But like in Hocus Pocus, you look at like the villains and they want to steal souls of children so they can be younger looking. And it's like a vanity thing. And the children obviously want to live. So that's survival. So that's a basic right. primal instinct. And I yeah. can understand that. Like that's that's very simple for me. But for the whole... Oh, yeah. I need to get the stone to do the thing. That's all. Meh. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, tired. It's, it's 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 interesting that you're saying that because as I'm thinking about it, uh, listening to you talk about that, like, so like Frodo is one of the main characters in Lord of the Rings, and like his his um, there's a term for it that I can't remember, but like the reason for him doing what he's even doing, going all the way to Mordor with a ring. It's not very, it's not like, it's it, basically him as a character, he's thrown into the situation and he doesn't even really know why he's doing it. Like, and you get that sense throughout the entire story in the books and the movies. It's always like, we're tasked, we, as in, you know, the kingdoms of men and wizards and elves, all these people are more powerful than him. Uh, have determined, like, you're going to be the guy who's going to do this. Why? Because we said so. Sorry. You know, like, um, and that's not entirely true to the story, but it, 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 a lot of it is in that vein. And so that becomes a harder story to relate to in terms of, like, because everybody else looks at that and goes, like, I, I just say fuck off, you know? Like, I've got other things to do with my life. Yeah. Uh, I'm not interested in that. But uh, you know, with a with a hero, with a 
with a protagonist, it is good to have somebody, like you're saying, somebody who is really, you can connect with some kind of primal notion, right? Like, uh, so like, for instance, let's going into protagonists, um, you're a very big fan of Batman, right? How would you describe... all the soundtracks this afternoon. <laughs> Literally, I was listening would... to 89 Returns. I listened to Dark Knight Rises. I listened to at least three or four Batman scores this afternoon alone. Not even making that up. How would you how would you describe the appeal of Batman as a as a main character? I'm not even going to get into like protagonist antagonist duality yet. It, like just as a main character. Like what's his primal like drive? What's the primal Yeah, are for you like what's the primal appeal, you know, for him as a character? He well, I mean, you know, everybody wants to be rich enough that they can just go after the problems that they feel like as opposed to deal yep. with the real life ones that they are forced to do. Uh so right. there's a little bit of fantasy involved with that, but I think for a character standpoint it's the the human primal relation that I feel a lot of people feel when they look at Batman. And I can only speak for me, but I feel like it is universal because he's so popular. Is one of the things that people do is try to prevent others from suffering in ways that they have. So yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like I, my parents were not murdered. I was not an orphan. But Batman's whole kind of M.O. is no other kid will ever be left orphaned on my watch. Like that's yeah. that's his I'm I'm stopping these criminals because I don't want anyone to feel like what I feel. And that's part of the reason why and I feel they they've missed a boat with this in the movies quite a bit. But that's like one of the reasons why he kind of takes in Robin. It's definitely like yeah. when you're talking about Dick Grayson. He fails. Yeah. And it's like, well, that kid's not going to grow up without someone to look up to. So that's why he brings he kind of brings Dick Grayson in as his ward. And you know what I mean? It's that resonating kind of idea that I don't want someone to go through what I went through. And the means and the execution, the fancy car and all the gadgets and the cool suit and all that kind of shit, the atmosphere, the style, like all that stuff. Yeah, that's fun because, you know, that's just a world that we get to immerse ourselves in. But you strip yeah. all that away, you change it. You can look at all the different formats he's taken from comic books and it, each of the sets of his movies, like the style changes every single time, but the MO stays the same. Everybody bitches that they're tired of seeing the Waynes murdered, but the point is the Waynes get murdered and that's why Batman right. is so popular is because he's doing what all of us want to do is pass on some kind of healing to those who have suffered similar trauma or right. to prevent others from doing that. I know for a fact as an artist when I'm writing something, I'm go like I always say, we're all trying to work out our shit through our art. Half the time when I'm when I look back at certain particular stories that I've written with the wonderful gift of hindsight, I can see themes that were embedded in them that I wrote sub subconsciously. Like I wasn't even actively thinking about trying to help someone through a shit I've been through. But when I watch them or read them now, I'm like, oh, I was going through that at this time. And I'm I'm not just telling my story, but I'm also working my shit through and also letting someone else live through it vicariously through story and coming out the way I did. Like they're getting yeah. through that particular trauma. 
So to, for me, that's what Batman does. Like that's why he's universally loved. Like that's his primal appeal. Um, I don't know how to how to segue from that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's 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 it to me. Did I answer your question? Yeah. So I guess I yeah totally did. And the reason why I even asked that question was to get to, um, like when we when we. Because when we make stories, right, we think a lot of times, most of the time, I'm sure, with the exception of maybe cases for like Lord of the Rings fantasy stories, right, most of the time we have an uh, initial character that we come up with, and that's the character who's going to be like our window into the world Hmm. a lot of the time. Or it can also be the, the person that's going to represent the values that we want, that we want others to like lump onto right so like with batman like i feel like batman as a character as a main character as a or as a protagonist is there to represent certain values that we want other people to have right like this idea of like a sense of right and wrong a sense of standing up for people who are dealing with injustice and to prevent you know further further disaster in the future for others, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the protagonist also, in order to make that, in order to make that work, we also have to have some sort of opposing force, right? In order to create tension, in order to create drama. Uh, so like going back to our Batman parallel, right? The one, the one antagonist or the one villain that we think of with Batman is the Joker. Oh yeah. And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but let, getting into it, like, you know, uh, if you break them down as characters, it's basically a duality between order and chaos, right? Yep. And both have, uh, when I like Batman stories the most is when I can see both sides uh, fully and I can also see them in a way where I appreciate both of them fully, right? So, like, Joker works best when Joker has, the Joker has, like, a full worked out uh, thesis for why he should exist in the first place, right? Okay. Like, I exist because of X and X and X. Uh, so, for instance, going into um the dark knight right the joker's whole thesis is like humanity is not like a thing that is worth protecting in the sense of it's an animal out for its own so like you're all you're trying to do in order to protect it is really standing in the way of its own interests because its own interests are its own interests like basically a fully anarchic sort of mentality. Whereas Batman's like, we have institutions, we have justice, we have all these things in order to preserve some sort of order, some sort of system, because we need those things. We don't, we don't need to have, um, anarchy or disorder, however you want to put it, doesn't need to be a thing. We can, we can do better than that. Uh, how would you how would you think about this this duality that I'm laying out for these two characters? 
to me, it's kind of like the, I think I brought this up before, but it's like Freud's death theory. Okay. Where deep down, we all want to die. Like innately. Like that Mm -hmm. is like something that we, we consciously resist, but innately we're all seeking our own destruction. Like we have a driving force within us to destroy you know, why does the kid kick over the sandcastle kind of thing? Um, and I feel like the Joker tries to represent the other side of that coin where Batman is trying to preserve life and safety yeah. and stuff like that. Whereas the Joker is like, no, that's not life. Life is, you know, death like that, like that. It's going to happen. Why are you? It's a very a nature versus nurture kind of thing where the Joker oh, represents sure. nature. He is, you know, yeah. mother, he's mother nature. And Batman yep. is the nurturing, progressive mind of humanity, where it's like, well, we can I, be better I, than just random animals. I really like that setup, too, because Batman, like, Bruce Wayne is, like, the most nurtured. Like, yes. <laughs> in the sense of he's so privileged. actual resources and everything, yeah. he's, like, the most nurtured character. Which is, right? which is why that works. That's the harmony of, yeah. of Batman. Is people th- well, and even I just said it before, you know, it's fun to have the cool gadgets in the car and all that shit, but it works thematically with that idea of this man has everything except for a family, but, you know, he yeah. lives a very privileged life. Like, he, ha- he has the, the safety of the societal net. You know what I mean? Like he lost his family, sure, but he he has all this money. He has a butler. He's got you know a, a house. He's got all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he doesn't have a family. That's sad, but he's taken care of. Whereas you know, there's a million different origins for the Joker. You can pick your favorite one, but it's pretty clear the Joker was probably not a loved child. He was probably right. orphaned as well. He's probably you know what I mean? Like you could probably yeah. deduce that entire thing. Or maybe he did have parents and he watched them suffer through yep. uh, poor uh, poverty. You know what I mean? Like it could have I very like that well. Set up because you're basically saying that the Batman and the Joker could basically be the same person, but different, like circumstances. basically different. Yeah. Different outcomes. Right. The society situ, the societal situations of their, each of their upbringings, you know, will definitely inform their point of view on the rest of life. Like that's absolutely how characters are made and you know we always see flashbacks and shit like that um the the thing that separates them because you could very well i mean they've proved it with a movie you could very well make the joker the protagonist and batman is this evil you know conform conform uh oppressive you know what i mean societal uh kind of figure and whereas the the Joker could be the empathetic hero, the difference for me between a protagonist and an antagonist is, uh, and this is very important when you, that that I think a lot of writers need to know is when to withhold information. Um, I feel like antagonists don't have so much uh, of their exposition or their background revealed, and that's what makes it clear to the audience that's the bad guy that's what we're going up against but here's the here's the 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 catch i and you might agree with me or you might disagree i don't know i think we all are on the same page when we say when we find out the backstory or the mo of the particular villain 
if it's well done and sympathetic, you have a better story on your hands watching two yeah. characters you empathize with at each other's throats. Oh, yeah. That's it, it, you know what I mean? Like that is the usually the hallmark of good writing. So I the mean, standard let's, uh, let's go to the Black Panther movie, right? Okay. Yeah. Like there there's a story there's a story that where the protagonist and the antagonist both have extremely like yes. relatable, you know, MOs. Mm-hmm. And both are such that you can you could look at it and go, I mean, either or, you know, but ultimately it becomes about uh it becomes about the main character about the black panther being you know uh reclaiming what is his right basically you know in Mm -hmm. that movie and like you were saying what makes it so interesting and so captivating is you know exactly where both of these characters are coming from and so like yeah like you're saying i just just to mirror you like i I really do appreciate that in a movie when you have two opposing forces and you see them on this like very innate intuitive level where you can fill both sides so that you're kind of like, you're kind of rooting for both right at certain mm-hmm. points. And <laughs> and that comes down to, um, and this is, this is kind of, I, I don't want to get into this particular area, but I'm just going to walk around it. Um, it gets into the the field for me of politics where I am very middle of the road these days. I can see a little column A, a little column B. And I think that's the writer in me wanting to understand two different characters. And it all boils down to the execution. How do you go about getting your end goal? And this is, and this is where it becomes primal again the people or the character who is doing it for a selfish reason um, tends to be the antagonist and the person doing it for the selfless reason is the protagonist. So that's how you can kind of look at it where, okay, Batman is doing this for somebody else. He can't bring his parents back to life, right? He's trying to prevent that from happening to other people's kids. The Joker is not saving or benefiting anybody else but himself. He's reaffirming his own beliefs. He's hurting others. Do you know what I mean? Like it is a 100% selfish plan 100% of the time when he does stuff and it comes down to the execution of it. So if the Joker had a different means of going about trying to prove his point, he could be the protagonist, but he's not. He's killing people, shooting people, blowing stuff up. That's what makes him the villain. And I think right. that that's uh, important to distinguish the between a villain and an antagonist. Um, yeah, I like of, the way that you're putting that for sure. Keep going. One of one of the more recent um, films that can definitely do this, and while we're in the superhero realm, easily enough, Captain America: Civil War. You have two yep. heroes going at it. You have groups of heroes, pretty much. And really, they're not going about it the wrong way, most of them. Like, they're both doing it the same way, which is why we can still love them after the movie's over. Um, But if you look at Tony Stark in that particular movie, he's upset about the murder of his parents. And the way he's going about 
it is not the right way. He's trying to harm the person who harmed his parents. It's a very, very selfish act. He kind of dupes the rest of like his half of the Avengers into joining him out of kind of a uh, righteous crusade, I want to say, to quote unquote bring them in, bring in Cap. I don't think he's there to, to kill Cap, but I think he's definitely after Bucky. Yep. Um, right. And if he got his hands on him, he would have killed him. And that's why he's the villain in that movie. We're able to get over it because we love the charming Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> in the role and all that kind of stuff. You know, we've gotten to know him for a couple movies beforehand, but sure. it, it, it they're able to make him a villain. And that's one of the most beautiful things about that movie for me is, yes, we still have Baron Zemo in there as the the real bad guy that they you know what I mean, at the end of it yeah. all. But that doesn't they don't they didn't take that as a cheap route in the way like Batman v Superman did where they were like, oh, the real bad guy's doomsday, and now they're going to team up and fight him. <laughs> and it was like, no, that's not what this was about. This is about, you know, these are personal character growth stories, and that's what I think is important to understand. So you can have a villain. Baron Zemo is the villain, and Tony Stark is the antagonist, and that's really how that goes about it. So it's it's really when you get into those fine details that you can start playing with that expectation. That's the subversion of expectation I like is the subversion of character expectation as opposed to plot. Like when you subvert a trope or a cliche and a plot, it's gimmicky to me. You know what I mean? It's been done so much, you know, since scream moving forward and I'm repping my scream shirt today. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that haps happens. Everything becomes so meta that people point it out and this and that and all that jazz. Um, yep. But when you subvert the expectations of a character, what that to me is what a adds depth to a character and B for sure allows the plot to go in different directions. So if you subvert the character, you naturally subvert the plot. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I, it's something that I think about in terms of, um, something I'm kind of doing right now, writing trailer park warlock is trying to figure out ways to change, change the main characters, situation in such a way that like it changes the dynamic of the story as it's going on because it, that way you know because like you know you could have a character just be the same 100 percent of the time right and some sometimes there's like an argument for that i could totally i could totally see an argument for that in the sense of uh if you have a character who is sort of predicated on that sameness right but that means you have to have an extremely dynamic world around around them, right? Like, yeah. to yep. where their whole thing is to basically exist as a response to, like, real life, basically. Yeah. Uh, if you get what I'm saying, like, I, I don't have a I don't have a solid example. Uh, I do. I, go for it. I want to hear John it. Wick. Yeah, for sure. John Wick is, does not change. He's a guy with a gun. He's a hitman, and he's going around and just killing people for ninety minutes. That's it. That's what the fucking four movies are all about. Somebody, somebody kills his dog in the first ten minutes of the first movie, and the killing never stops after that. And it's a he's a steamroller. That's how I like to refer to him. He's just a steamroller. He comes up to a challenge and he blasts through it. And the subversion there is his character, like you said, doesn't change. And we're so used to all the stories about conflict and character growth and this and that, that it's actually a breath of fresh air 
that he doesn't change. He just steamrolls through everything that goes on. And it's not what you expected. You expect him to struggle and have an internal conflict and personal growth and this and that. No, he's just fucking killing people. And Mm. that's it. That's it. And that's the, that's the subversion that you go through is that, well, he's going to, he's going to stop for her. Oh no, he didn't stop for her. He shot her right in the head. Done. And that's it. Like, like that's, and that's how you do it though. That's how you, you got to be aware of the air supply. Um, you got to be able to read the road in whichever kind of story medium or all story mediums, I should say, um, when you're telling your own and that's kind of, when you start defining your characters differently, that's when you can start subverting the expectations of whether or not they're the hero or the villain. I'm, I, you know what I would love to see, um, right. One of the things that I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment, and I'm not, I haven't written the story yet, but I'm kind of gunning to, I'm ready for what's called, uh, I'm call I call it. I don't know if there's an actual term for this. Maybe I've mentioned it before. Um, baton handoffs in characters. Okay. It's like a protagonist switch. So you watch a movie and about halfway through the movie, your main character either leaves the plot or dies. And we start following someone else entirely. So if you've ever seen the French horror movie martyrs, that is an example of a protagonist switch, um, which you start following this character for a good half hour, 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden, spoiler alert, they die. And what you're left with is the supporting character, the side character that was with them who kind of takes up the baton and carries you through the rest of the movie. And that's, that to me is interesting is, is, is knowing that maybe your, your main character, your hero or something can start off as a side character. That's so interesting to me because so much so, I mean, and this is a primal thing, and I, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but sometimes you get drawn into a story by your friend. You get drawn into a conflict oh, yeah. by somebody else, and suddenly you find yourself at the fr- the, the on the front line. You know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's a weird situation, but it does happen, and it doesn't happen in stories. And that's why I feel like, to me, that's a fresh storytelling technique that writers could should oughta utilize. yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because i just to reflect on what you're saying like it isn't i'm not i can't think of too many hard examples in movies the most like the closest thing i can think of recently was uh and i haven't actually played these games but i just know about it just because society but uh <laughs> The Last of Us games. So, in the like the first game, I believe you play like this this father figure type character who raises a kid who's like resistant to the zombie plague. And then in the second game, you play the kid who, after the father figure has died, basically. And so, like, there's definitely people who are thinking about it. You know, like it's it's an idea that's in other people's heads. Uh, oh, another example I can think of is going <laughs> to... All, all the examples I can think of are things you have probably not <laughs> been exposed to, but there's an anime called Gurren Lagann, and so... There's a, there's the, a what? It's an anime called... Uh, so, oh. Japanese animated show called um, Gurren Lagann, and so it's a, it's a giant robot anime 
but the first season is entirely about uh, these two characters, Tamina, who's kind of the big brother figure, and Simon, who's like the the younger brother, like the younger brother kind of. They're fighting their way out of this really oppressive environment, and uh, the main character spoilers. The, uh, one of the main characters, Kamina, dies midway through the show. And the second half of the show is entirely about uh, Simon, the younger brother, the younger brother type character, coming into his own and becoming a hero on his own and basically like finishing the fight that they started in the first half of the series. So it's one of the best shows I've ever, or one of the best anime I should say that I've ever watched. It's one of my favorite. It, and it's uh, by the end of the series, like it really emotionally resonates when you kind of are looking back on all the stuff that they've had to go through. And like the main character, Simon's loss, right. Of like this role model that he's had throughout his life. And so just another example to put out there for y'all, for anybody who is interested in uh, the protagonist switch type archa- archetype, I don't know what to call it, like um, um, story format. I would call it, yeah, it's like a story structure. It's a, it's a yeah, story structure. move or uh, a technique, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. And And for the record, my hang up with anime is strictly uh design that's that's my my biggest hang up uh yeah. in terms of both the animation style and the design style those are that's one of the reasons why i can't get into it I, everything to me looks like pokemon um <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i know that's derogatory and it's kind of offensive to some people but all that an, all this all anime looks alike and it, a- to me that's a hang up I had a question, Jao, in regards to um, to the switch structure, right? Mm. This protagonist switch, what I think would be harder to work is an antagonist switch. And I'm curious what you yes. think about what I just said, because I feel like I've seen some... I've seen some media that tries to do it, and it does not work. But what do you think, Jao? Uh, I would agree. It's. I don't think it's impossible. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I just think it's bloody difficult. I don't know what movie I'm quoting right there. Inception. <laughs> um, that's what it was. There, there, the the first movie that comes to mind immediately is Baby Driver. Um, okay. The Edgar Wright film. I don't know if you've seen it. I. Um, it's on my list. It's been suggested. It's been recommended to me many times, but I haven't had a, the opportunity yet. It was such a come down for from Scott Pilgrim for me. I had such different expectations that I have to rewatch. I've been so long since I watched it, but. Um, I know it's good because Edgar Wright is fucking amazing. Um, but there is an antagonist switch that goes on. Okay. And when I watched it, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I don't like this. Uh, that's not what I was <laughs> expecting. Um, and I think that goes to, I think you have more leniency to do a protagonist switch on the fly for an antagonist switch. I would say you're probably best to definitely go towards setups and payoffs. Like that's an important thing to make that work. Um, That I don't think it's as important for the protagonist 
Do you know what I mean? Because uh, it's it's really about understanding the the motivation. Why would why would a a bad person change their motivation? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. and and then or and I mean that not as the the primary bad guy changing their motivation. I'm talking about the secondary bad guy changing their motivation. Like the only way I could say that would work is if it's a betrayal, right? It's a um, yeah, protagonist, sure. a protagonist that becomes an antagonist. And you sure. look at something like Dr. Strange, since we're going, we're in the superhero storytelling. Um, God, I can't pronounce his name. Chew it. Well, a Jeffy or I, I, I'm terrible. <laughs> I I'm know. terrible at saying his name. Everyone <laughs> knows who the fuck I'm talking about though. Um, in the first Doctor Strange movie, he's an ally, and then it sets it up at the end of it that he's going to be a villain uh, out of the jealousy that he kind of has for Doctor Strange. Um, and that makes sense. Like, that's that works. But for, I guess, I well, I guess to become a an antagonist switch, it has to be a protagonist, right? Well, I, okay, so that is, that might be a, that's kind of a different dynamic than I was thinking initially. Cause okay, when I was bad. saying antagonist switch, like the baton of the antagonist gets passed on to a different character. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Like you like it to me, what doesn't work, but that dynamic, let's go back to that dynamic in just a moment. But sure. what I was talking about is when you have an antagonist, and your entire plot is focused on either defeating them or trying to undo some damage they're doing, but then suddenly it's not really them, it's somebody else, you know? Like, sometimes that works where it's like, oh, here's the actual big bad, right? Here's the person that's behind the scenes being the puppet master, blah, blah, blah. But it's a little bit slippery. You can really mess that up because the person that you're focusing all of your, like... You know, oh, I hate that character energy into, right? Yeah. Because that's that's sort of what that's where protagonists get their intrigue, their attention, their interest from, is you're kind of like focusing all that energy into them, and when they're gone, the movie either needs to be over or it needs to be really close to over because that's your like, that's that's your main drive that you've been riding on for so long, but. Unless you have any thoughts about that, further thoughts about what I was just talking about. Well, we were just talking about this on Twitter, you and I. Uh, not this directly, but we were kind of dancing around this particular movie. Um, if you look at the the James Bond Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, um, yeah. that's exactly what goes on. You have Le Chief, who is the, the big bad. And then at the end of the yeah. movie, it's kind of revealed that there is this bigger organization behind him. And that's that it works there because it's more of a tease. It's the Easter egg for the next movie kind of deal. Uh, In this particular moment, I'm having trouble coming across. I mean, it's interesting in the same movie kind of deal. I like that you're bringing that up because um, I will say like in that movie in Casino Royale, like it's kind of it was a weird experience for me the first time I watched it. Cause I was like, wait, this movie's still going on. Like I thought we were done. Right. Yeah. And that's it a good point. Of, yeah. Yeah. That, I had that same it thought. Kind of, it kind of has a weird energy to it. Cause you're like, I don't know how much longer this is going to go on. This feels like <laughs> I'm opening another book. 
you know, and I'm ready yep. to be done with the movie. And so that's why I'm saying like, you know, it's, it is tricky to do like um, a baton pass with an antagonist. Whereas with, so let's go back to what you were talking about previously in terms of a protagonist antagonist switch, right? Mm. Where it's like um, some, or vice versa, right? Or an antagonist protagonist switch where suddenly a character who you were thinking was either a good guy or a bad guy suddenly switches alliances, right? Was that what we were talking about? Yeah. That's something that you really, like you were saying, you really have to set it up in order for it to work out. Because if you just do it mid movie or mid story without any kind of like anything, it's just like, well, why, you know, (laughs) like, you just kind of caught like why did we go through this i don't really i don't really understand and so i would it's it's interesting because when you're when you're setting up a cast for a story it's really important to have sort of an idea in your head where everybody's going to be at the beginning and at the end right? right and then try your damnedest not to like fuck with that too much because if you end the movie where it's like oh and then these characters uh who knows what happened to them they're off in the middle of nowhere like i know like lord of the rings is a confusing mess for a lot of people but i will say one thing that the books do really great is it 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 um it gives all these great bookends to every single main character. <laughs> There's a lot of characters too. From so. what I've heard, the movie does that too. <laughs> every single character, you find out what happens to them. You follow every single one of their arcs. And so if you're really invested in that story, it's fucking phenomenal, right? Cause it's like, you just, um, you just like participated in an entire world's worth of storylines but it's also exhausting. <laughs> and that's why I think it's very uh, it's very appealing to have like, you know, a story structure where you are focusing on one character and then have everything in that, you know, have have a cast that supports that character in their journey. For sure. Mm. Um, I would say though for you Jao, do you, can I'd be curious to know if you've had any stories though that kind of breaks that up where it is like the main character is not so much the representation for a value, but just a window into a world. And they might still be the main focus in the story, but they're not necessarily like the main, um, they're not the, they're not necessarily the representative value. Like they exist sort of just to be observer. Yeah, you get that in a lot, uh, a lot in a uh, like a fish out of water tale, um, where it's the person who asks the question on behalf of the audience, where the audience needs to know some exposition. So you directly insert some a particular character just to ask that question, so that the audience is like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, I you know I think of that a lot when I'm thinking like watching like Avengers Endgame. Ant Man in that movie is basically asking questions the entire fucking time just to get answers from Tony Stark or the Hulk or Captain America about what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. 
all this and that. He that's basically all Ant Man does in that particular movie is asks the questions on the behalf of the audience. I don't like doing that in my writing. Um, it's an effective technique. I don't feel it's an efficient technique in terms of storytelling. It takes me out um, only because I am a writer and storyteller myself. I realize for general audiences, they'll swallow that shit because they're so used to it and they won't even think twice about it. But for me, there's there's an inner standard that I set for myself and it's like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to reveal this information in another way. Um, and it's just a, a personal preference of mine. So I don't particularly like to insert that particular ty- kind of character. Um, and I also feel like the, the main character can't do that. They, You know what I mean? Like, If they're asking questions, they're not revealing character. Does that make sense? Can you wait? Say that. So, if they're asking questions as to the right. world, so so question uh, questions are, are character is revealed through choices, right? And choices sure. are basically questions. So, if the character is asking the questions, they're not necessarily making choices. They're providing options for other characters to tell them choices. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. That to me right. is is anti-character work. Um, you can have that as like a side character, but I would never make that my protagonist. I feel like that's that's one of the, the movies that just get fucking boring when you have characters <laughs> asking... That, uh, seriously, like when you... Um, if you look at something like the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, Will Turner okay. is asking lots of questions about pirate life half the yeah. time, and Jack Sparrow is answering. Who... Which... I mean, he's not theoretically the quote-unquote main character but that's the character everyone loves and yes it's johnny depp doing a keith richards impersonation that's and an it's a fun voice to use too because i think of jack sparrow as the main character in that movie even though right. it is will turner right yeah. it's supposed it's supposed to be will turner yeah but yeah. everybody loves jack sparrow and it's because in in true fashion he is the one making choices making decisions making taking action and yeah. Will is just a conduit for the audience. He's just asking the questions and providing a rather um, flimsy romance, rescue the damsel in distress, <laughs> you know, motivation to yeah. keep the story going forward. But what in essence is Jack Sparrow's motivation? It's something actually kind of more unique. He's trying to undo a wrong that was done to him. His ship was stolen his crew yep. turned against him like he feels ostracized that's a primal feeling right there like to have that feeling of hey this is what's right yeah we're pirates we steal and we do all these terrible things but amongst us in our world what is right you know there's no loyalty among thieves and he actually is a loyal character and you get that revealed yep. because he actually does help will he's real you know it may seem like he's lying or something at some point but he's not he's always helping will he's making those choices he's never really asking questions um unless he's trying to find out will's motivation or plot information or whatever but he's not finding about circumstances about the life or the world he's not trying to do anything like that he's just trying to achieve his goal and that's why he 
in essence, is the true main character of that movie. He's not supposed to be. Um, I don't right. <laughs> know if they intended, uh, if the writers intended that, but uh, I sure as shit know that the studio executives did not intend him to be the quote-unquote main character. He's supposed to be the plucky yeah. sidekick, but he steals the show. Yeah, and as I remember, I mean, I don't remember the movies that particularly well, but there is a point, as far as I can recall, that Will Turner starts to actually have an arc for himself, you know, where it's like, he has a, I can't remember what it is at all, but he does have at some point. You're talking about when he's trying to rescue his dad from uh, slavery or whatever it is? Yeah, it was something to that effect. And I think by that point, Jack Sparrow's like, you know, the complete main character in the series. But that's actually a really interesting. But if you look at it, Jack Sparrow's motivation has already been fulfilled, which is why yeah. two, three, whatever, for going forward, his character, yes, it's fun to watch, but it doesn't yeah. feel like the main character anymore because his primal need was fulfilled to undo that wrong of being mutinied against yeah. and having his things stolen. And from there on out, what's his real motivation? No one can fucking tell me what his motivation is through two, through I think they're up to five. Yeah. There's no motivation at anymore. Point, at that point, it becomes, he, he becomes the window into the world. Right. Basically. Right. So, they switch roles. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he becomes the window into the world, but it, it, it might work better with him as the window into the world because he still has a history in it. Whereas where Will Turner kind of enters into it has no history in it. You know, into the whole pirate life, basically, I should say. So, like, it it becomes it becomes very flat because you're not really sure, like, okay, well, how does this character fit into all this? Whereas with Jack Sparrow, you know that wherever he's going to be, and there are pirates, there's going to be some shit between him and somebody else. You're uncovering more of his background, and you're uncovering more of the background of the overall like mythos. And so that's that becomes like. So I guess going further into sort of this idea of window into the world character, it when it does work, it works if you're going to use that as a way to expose more more and more layers of the like of the story world that you're establishing. And if that becomes like the focus of what you're doing, which I think is kind of what ended up being the focus of most of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies after the first one and that's i would say that's in line with a lot of like quote-unquote adventure stories a lot of adventure stories premise themselves around being exploring an environment and exploring sort of the setup as opposed to doing like a typical a quote-unquote typical like narrative in the sense of you know so and so gets more than he bargained for and then does something about it and Instead, you get more like, well, we're going to go on an adventure. We don't know how it's going to end up, but everybody's going to be alive at the end who we want to be alive. So, right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just going back to your original question, I just I don't know if I can feel like the window character can be a, a the protagonist because the protagonist yeah. has got to be making choices as opposed to I do like deducing so, like, information. The you know the the Sherlock Holmes Watson like duality okay. kind of 
that's when it works, right? Because Watson is supposed to be the window into the world right. of like, you know, this world class detective. Yep. And it works because it makes Sherlock so um, isolated and alienated for the reader in the sense that we don't really understand how he under like how he understands so much about what he does, right? Yep. And we understand that through Watson. And even Watson himself as a character, like he does have a background in medicine. He has a background that makes him a very educated person. But even with that background, we, we get this, uh, we get this cognitive dissonance of like, Oh, well he's even him. Who's like this educated person. He has no idea how the fuck like Sherlock Holmes is doing this, how he's like able to solve all these mysteries. Right. Mm -hmm. So like that is, I think, I definitely would say, you know, that does uh, that does say a lot about that character, about that kind of archetype, mm. right? And how that might interact with, you know, a protagonist, basically. Or an antagonist. Uh, there can also be a window into the antagonist's world. You know what I mean? Oh, like that's that character that character doesn't happen so often, but it definitely does exist and it, it should be used as um, that kind of window into the world character for the antagonist, because that's how you can kind of get into the nitty gritty of your backstory and the, the MO of the, the quote unquote bad guy um, mm -hmm. without it feeling expository uh, mustache twirling monologue kind of deal. You know what I mean? Where yep. if, if someone is asking a question and then the bad guy makes a choice, you're learning about the bad guy through that choice and that's that's how you do that that's one of the things that people have a lot of problems with um we were talking about when we talked about genre the save the cat books which i am a huge fan of um if you are a storyteller and you get so confused by a lot of the flowery language you get that gets used in a lot of structure books um the blake snyder save the cat books are so um layman's terms that's that's the one i want to use yeah uh breakdown of how to construct a story one of the sections in the second act is the quote-unquote bad guys close in and it's basically the middle uh or the second half of the second act and even blake snyder says in his book that he has trouble with that particular section because he doesn't know necessarily what to do, like what the bad guys should be doing at that particular point in the story. Um, me, personally, the way I like to approach that particular section of bad guys close in, that's when I feel like we've been with our, and our, our protagonists long enough that we yeah. get it. We're on their side. Like time really kind of plays a big role into who you side with in a particular movie. And I feel like that is the moment to start revealing the bad guy, the antagonist, the villain, their motivation, their backstory, their whatever. And that's when the story turns anew. That's when it's like, oh, I know he's the bad guy because I'm siding with this guy. And that's when you pull the rug out from into your audience and go, oh, wait a minute, you haven't heard his side yet. <laughs> and yeah. that's when everybody, you know what I mean? And that's when... By the time you're done with that, the su the hero suffers an immeasurable loss, usually. And that's when you go, fuck. I don't know who I'm siding with. I feel bad for the, the protagonist, but now I get it. Now I understand why the bad guy's doing what he's doing. And 
he still stays the bad guy because he does something horrible right. to the the protagonist but that's when you start really kind of that's when people start getting gripped to the edge of their seat in my opinion is when you that's when you choose to reveal that particular thing when you show a backstory for a bad guy in the fucking prologue i got it like i'm already 10 steps ahead the audience themselves are 10 steps ahead of the movie all right i know where this is going whereas if you wait and you don't you play that hand at the right time that's when the audience goes oh fuck um i don't know what to do here and that's 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 what you want especially going into the third act of a movie because everybody knows sure. all right here comes the showdown good guy bad guy good guy wins and if you've sided with the good guy for two-thirds of the movie and as you're going towards the end of the movie you get a alternate point of view from the bad guy then you start questioning well wait a minute what do i want to happen do i want the bad guy to win and by right. the time you're going through and processing these thoughts as an audience member this the shit still the, the fucking story doesn't stop most of the time with movies and tv at least um and and theater but you're you're in your own head acting out the story the way you think you might want it to go and the story's still going and then you go oh shit i gotta pay catch up i gotta pay attention and then you're just waiting to see what happens. That's how you grip them, in my opinion. That's why revealing motivations that distinguish protagonist, antagonist, or antagonist, or, or protagonist, protagonist, needs to be yeah. structured accordingly. Structure, I think, is the big key in determining who is who or who yeah. is whom in a particular story. <laughs> Yeah, I like uh, I like a lot of what you're saying because I think just to kind of tie it all together, um, what you're saying ultimately is that in the story you're presenting two choices, right? Or maybe more than two, but you're presenting choices, right? right. Yep. The protagonist being somebody who is making choices throughout the story. The antagonist is somebody who's making choices throughout the story. And then those two choosers of choices come head to head. Right. But ultimately, if you're structuring it, if you're structuring it in a, in a way that that gives all those choices proper context for both the protagonist and the antagonist, you put the viewer in a place where they start making choices. Right. They become immersed that's, in the story. Yes. You yeah. want, and that's ultimately the goal that you want people to kind of be in is to put them in a put them into an alternate reality for a little bit where they start making choices they wouldn't normally make in everyday life kind right. of prepares them for choices they may make uh you know down the road perhaps if they get into some you know difficult scenario of their own or you know whatever whatever life brings yeah. their way and yeah. uh so i would say i don't know i guess that for me kind of wraps up the whole but my my thoughts about protagonist and antagonist. I really like the way that you had set that up, Joe. And is is that like when you go into writing your stories? How do you usually define the protagonist and the antagonist? Like, what's your your style of execution to do that? Like when you're writing. I mean, for myself, I do really like window into the world characters. I am not gonna lie. Like, I like that's having fine. It's character. totally a preference thing. Don't don't get me uh, wrong. Nothing I'm saying is gospel. No, I know. Um, I definitely. So I would say, 
Okay, for Trailer Park Warlock, I would not necessarily say that Jake Baker is a window into the world character in the sense that he does have very specific choices that he makes. Mm-hmm. And they're all very they're very often bad choices. <laughs> That's so, like, great though. That's what he should be doing. <laughs> as a protagonist, um, he's not like, you know, he's not a superhero protagonist in that sense, right? He's more of um I don't have a good, I guess I don't have a good descriptor of what kind of protagonist that is. I, the terminology's lost on me. More the, the antagonists are often the ones making very explicit choices that, uh, that, that affect him, you know, or affect the world around him. And um, I would say that, like, over the course of that story, it's gone from him making bad choices to him making good choices, right? Which is how you would theoretically that's how you would want like a story to play out right sure um but going back to your question like i like to have a blend i guess you know like part of it is is like as i'm thinking about what you're saying um i like to think of protagonists as these um as these fluxes, right? Like they're going to go through moments of strength and moments of weakness. And sometimes, you know, when those moments of strength and weakness, uh, weakness happen, it's not like, it's not necessarily, you don't want it to be super predictable in the sense that you don't want people to like see it coming a hundred miles away. You might want to give them a little leeway so they can kind of have an idea, you know, like you don't want, you don't want a character completely changing their mind. Yeah, you like, want to set up suddenly. appropriately. Yeah. Right. Um, but nevertheless, you want to have a situation where, or for me, it's it's useful to have a situation where you have a character who's kind of going through these moments of strength and weakness to get to a point where they have a. I like having characters that have where their main thing is like revelation, some big thing about either the world or their lives is kind of revealed to them, and that's like the main driving force. You know, that's the that's the thing that brings them to their their pinnacle as a character arc. Um, but that's just because I myself, as a person, like I'm constant. I'm a seeker type personality. I'm constantly looking looking deeply into things and trying to find some kernel of truth even when it's like possibly just patent nonsense and mm-hmm. so um for me like that's kind of like in trailer park world that's like one of the things to kind of laugh at or to joke about is sort of sometimes there are dead ends in that search and that's part of that can be a that can be a mo- that can be a useful moment for comedy and it can be a it can also be a useful moment to sort of re uh, reassess, like you know, what you're doing in your life and all that stuff. And so, it's a, yeah, it's a profound revelation. It's it's one of those things that we kind of go to stories for. Is and this is my stylistic approach when I come to it. Is that and, and I think this is kind of true in most characterization books, um, where a protagonist comes to terms with something that they knew but refused mm-hmm. to accept. Does yeah. that make sense? Like it, whether it's oh, about yeah. themselves or the world around them, um, 
it, it's a truth that they are in denial of. And I think that's a yeah. very primal human thing that everybody goes through is like, we don't, we, we want change, but we don't want change. And yeah. there's driving forces that we resist. And at some point they catch up with you and you got to go. It's mother nature. You know what I mean? Like it, it is it, yeah. to go back to our Batman Joker thing. It very much comes down to resisting the, the forces of nature and eventually arriving at a conclusion of it was inevitable. This is the way that it is or whatnot. And, you know, I think that if if you were to end Batman's story, does it end with him killing someone? Does it end with him hanging up the mantle and not going out as Batman anymore? Is that right. how is that how it ends? This is a podcast episode in itself. We should just do a full fucking episode <laughs> talking about how would you end, and I mean end, Batman in comic form. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. the character is going to go on forever. There's too much money in that fucking character. The comic will never end. They'll do uh, you know, a, the death of Batman, which they've kind of done here and there, but he always fucking comes back. But if you were going to write the end, like the definitive end of Batman... He's got to arrive at some kind of conclusion or revelation. He's not a John Wick. I don't. Th- I don't yeah. think. No, um, I don't think so either. I mean, I say this as somebody who watched Batman Beyond, right? Which that was a show that really, like, right? <laughs> that that did Bruce that Tim. whole that did that whole. Um, I mean, not just Batman Beyond, but also the Justice League shows did further development on the character of Batman to the point that it's like, yeah, he changes as a character. He has reassessments of values. He has reassessments Mm -hmm. of like who he is as a person. And also comes to terms to certain about certain things about himself as a person. One of those things being like, he, he might be kind of mentally ill, right? Like that's something that he totally comes to accept. Like, uh, in Batman beyond, as like, okay, well, I just, I have this thing about myself that is, I can't do much about, and I have to accept it, you know? Um, I don't actually remember, though, how, uh, I don't remember how his storyline in Beyond, because I think in Beyond is kind of where we see how things, or no, it's Justice League, maybe, where we see how things end for Bruce Wayne as a character. Well, Batman Beyond... And I wish uh, Matt Walters was here with us because he could definitely yeah, put his would. point on point. He knows. <laughs> um, he's the one who introduced me to, to most of this. Um, I'm pretty sure Batman Beyond ended prematurely. And then they did like some kind of like time travel episode or something in Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. Where right. they concluded the series. I don't remember what happened, but I remember that's what happened. Like that's how they wrapped it up. And I don't remember what I think. I almost feel like he was already dead. Like it was I just Terry McGinnis's story at that point, yes, and it I was think just you're over. Right, because then we we they do the whole like you know plot reveal about Terry McGinnis and Bruce Wayne and their connections and all that stuff. But yeah. uh, no, I mean I think I I think ultimately what we do find out for Bruce Wayne is that he does come to terms with the fact that he is growing older and dying. Right, like he. He cannot do the Batman thing forever. He has to pass that baton on, right? Going back to protagonist, protagonist switch. There you right? go. 
Uh, Boy, we did setups in this payoffs, uh, setups and payoffs in this episode without even fucking trying. We were just artistically intuitive enough to discuss things um, to the point where we were able to make payoffs out of setups. That's fucking artistry, friends. Um, but in, in real artistry, you get to go back and just do revisions and rewrites. But uh, me and Rainwater are so fucking top shelf that we were able to do it on the fly. <laughs> I'm saying this in jest. Uh, Rainwater is an incredible storyteller. I don't know about myself. Anyway. I say, yeah, you are a good storyteller. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, so in wrapping up, I guess we were talking about protagonists and antagonists, and I say this for every fucking episode, for every fucking topic, but we'll definitely have to revisit this particular topic again at some point because I think we've only lightly brushed um, the differentials of the two particular archetypes. Um, I think we need to do a full-on episode about villains. I don't. I think that there's enough for meat sure. there to talk for four hours, and I think. I mean, it's it's easy to argue that villain villains or antagonists are the actual story, so yeah. to speak. Nothing you know happens I mean? without them. Because they're they're the, the they're the thesis that the protagonist has to make a decision on. Right. They are the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, think about it. it. That's true. Okay, we're gonna go in fucking circles here. <laughs> Next time on that's, Midnight at the Spaghetti Factory. <laughs> now we're comboing two of our pro- last uh, podcasts: setups and payoffs, and knowing when to end. Because setups and payoffs <laughs> will perpetually put you in a goddamn circle if you do a setup, a payoff, and then. Turn the the past payoff into a new setup that requires a payoff. You will keep going. That's how you tell a story, by the way. Uh, if you're struggling with your outline or whatever, now look at the last payoff that occurred, and now look at it as a setup for something else. Um, an example of that would be if you look at the original Die Hard. Right? What's the payoff at yeah. the end of that movie? Fucking Hans Gruber is thrown off a building. Right? He dies. What is that? How would you convert that into a setup? Die Hard 3. Han Gruber's, Hans Gruber's brother is seeking revenge, particularly on John McClane, which I think is why a lot of people resonate with Die Hard 3 before they, I think if they had to rank them, they would go 1, 3, and then they would rank them the rest, however their personal yeah. preferences go. But right. I would say that the third film is actually probably up there. Uh, in a lot of people rankings. But the reason is, is because there's a setup and payoff going on from a payoff, if that makes any sense. But anyway, if you're yeah. struggling with a, a particular uh, story structure in your uh, outline or your script or your whatever it is that you're writing right now, look at the last payoff as a setup. And I think I will end that there, even though we're talking about protagonists and antagonists today. I think I'm going to take a page out of episode two, and I think I'm going to know when to end which is right now. Good night, everybody. Will, all right, nope. Good night, everybody. Nope. Go, was, go ahead. Go I was, ahead. I was going to say next, next episode, next week, next time on midnight at the spaghetti factory, uh, we're going to have a guest on who is from the other podcast that I do. I do two podcasts. Uh, and this is a podcast called WBB. It's a very, 
it's a different podcast. Um, we used to talk about politics on it, and now we just talk about whatever. Mostly we talk about <laughs> Dogecoin and stocks. Woo! But um, it's a totally different. It's a totally different vibe. We're gonna have my friend Soko on, and uh, Soko is a good friend of mine from high school and beyond. And uh, we will be talking about the art of podcasting, the art of conversation. So that'll be next time, y'all. Until then, good night. 